This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you for joining us during lunchtime. Um, I know we're maybe a little bit less engaging than, than meals here, but hoping that this will be a really good conversation and we'll all get a lot out of it. Um, I'm Hillary Ross. I'm the Vice President of Podcast and YouTube Influencer at Baritone One. And today we're going to be talking about multi-channel um, expansions in the podcasting space and a little bit about the monetization and distribution opportunities here and why we're really you know, big advocates of both podcasting and the growth of the ecosystem at large. Um, we have a smattering of industry and agency professionals here, and we're, we're really looking to keep this conversational, educational. Um, we're going to be doing a Q&A at the end, so if you guys have questions, we'll definitely be able to dig into that then. But Alan, you want to kick off with an intro for us? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Alan Abdeen. I run sales and BD at Rooster Teeth, or uh, also the Roost Podcast Network is part of Rooster Teeth in Austin, Texas. Uh, I've been with the company for 11 years now uh, and helped transition the company from um, what we used to call the currency of the internet, t-shirts and DVD-based revenue stream uh, into an ad-based business. So uh, in fact, we started with uh, events and podcasts as the first areas in which we um, started experimenting with uh, ad revenue. So. Uh, definitely have been uh, part of and have seen uh, participated in most of the evolution that we're going to probably talk about today in terms of podcast distribution and monetization. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Courtney O'Connor, Director of Podcast Media at Veritone One. Uh, Veritone One is a full-service agency. We have been leaders in the, the audio space and really focus on performance media. Craig Jordan, Studio 71. Uh, Vice President of um, Podcasts and Brand Partnerships. Uh, a little bit about Studio 71, because a lot of people don't know about who we are. We're a global entertainment company that produces and uh, distributes original programming across multiple platforms. Uh, so we have our hands in everything, you know, huge presence in YouTube, uh, 10 billion views there, believe it or not. I had to check that with someone. Uh, huge presence in Snapchat, uh, IG with another billion there. And then our newest department is podcasting that has about 30 million monthly streams right now. Uh, we have about 150 podcasts and uh, we just started about three years ago. So it's a pretty big accomplishment. And one of our biggest things when we started was we wanted to be a large simulcast company. So at the very beginning, we started saying to all of our talent, we want to have video with every time with every show that that's out. So um, and I think we've accomplished it. From what I'm hearing from some folks, that we are either the top or one of the top companies right now doing simulcasting. Yep. Kelly Hurley, VP Global Head of Revenue Partnerships at SXM Media. Um, our division right now is charged with building and enhancing revenue opportunities with the podcast portfolio of over 450 shows uh, across the network. So we really are building the bridge between content and sales um, and creating those 360 degree partnerships, whether it be audio, video, social, um, even looking at events and other extensions from our personalities. 
Um, I started in the podcast space um, in 2015 and helped build and launch the podcast network at Cumulus Media prior to this. So very excited to be here. Awesome. Thank you all. So um, as you've heard from our panelists here, and, and as has been a really big topic of conversation this week specifically at Podcast Movement, we're seeing this big growth, this big push towards multi-channel, multi-touch points, um, and frankly, the expansion into the video space. Um, now we're seeing YouTube, you know, people are consuming their podcasts on YouTube, they're, they're watching their podcast, they're listening to their podcast. Um, and so we really want to just kind of kick things off here with, with a few definitions um, and kind of really touching on what do we mean by multi-channel? What are these avenues we're, we're interested in exploring? Um, what are the areas that brands have, you know, an interest in from a monetization perspective and really looking to kind of like wrap our our buys, our connections, um, you know, across all of these platforms. So Courtney, do you want to take us through a little bit around um, what are some of these multiple touch points that, you know, we're looking to partner with, you know, our, our network friends um, in partnering on? And, and what do we mean by simulcast? I know, Craig, you kind of touched on that as a big initiative for Studio 71 specifically. So, you know, what does that look like? What are the nuances there? Um, and and kind of just let's start off with some definitions. Yeah, I think multi-channel distribution is probably the, the easier definition of the two. Uh, multi-channel would be multiple channels of distribution of the same content. Uh, so whether that's audio, video on any video platform, social, newsletters, um, really just having a 360 sphere of influence, which is something we've been talking a lot about this week, um, on multiple, multiple channels. Simulcast is a little bit trickier because everyone seems to have a little bit different of a definition. So from a buying and brand perspective with our clients at Veritone One, we're really looking at something that has the same audio and video component being uploaded into audio channels and video channels. So whether that's YouTube, whether that's Twitch, um, it's the same content living in multiple different places. Um, and we've really seen it and a huge peak in interest in those assets because as a performance agency, we really are trying to build on things that work. And so if we can find audio that works, their video is probably going to work, their social is likely going to work. So being able to have all of those assets available to us to buy um, really, really help our, our buys and our brands are really, really interested in it right now. Awesome, thank you. Um, Ellen, maybe you could take us through a little bit around, you know, as a very, very early adopter into this multi-touch point simulcast 360 style at Rooster Teeth. Um, from your experience, you know, where, where are the different avenues that you've really seen success? How has your strategy changed over the years here? Um, and where are some areas that you're continuing to focus on, you know, as a company, as the space is continuing to develop? Sure. So, you know, when we started, uh, Rooster Teeth started 20 years ago, believe it or not, with a show called Red vs. Blue, animation show, a machinima-style animation. Um, and so we've always been a video-first studio. We've been a video-first company. So with our first podcast, which was originally called The Drunk Tank, which was problematic for certain advertisers, we re re renamed it to The RT Podcast. 
Um, that was always considered, thought of to be a, a video-like podcast. At the time, video podcasts weren't really the thing. Like Whenever someone said podcasts, they were imagining their little white iPod, and they were listening. You know, it, was, it was mainly an audio format. But when we were going into the podcasting world, we were always thinking video first. Video, because we are a video studio. And, we, and, the, and the secondary portion for us was distribution on the audio channels. So from the very beginning, when I was talking to the ad agencies, you know, I'm trying to convince them, listen, when we talk about podcasts, we need to talk about it in a bigger context than just audio. There's this whole video component that you're missing. There's hundreds of thousands of impressions where they're actually showing the brand and there's a little link that they can click to immediately go buy it. Like, you have to take this seriously. And it took a while, uh, but it took a, took a bit of convincing. But um, you know, now we, we see the rest of the in industry catching up uh, and, and really putting a lot of respect into the video uh, component. For us, we continue to be a video-first podcasting network. Yes, we do have audio-only uh, show, audio shows, but our, our, our superpower is, is the video component. And for us in particular, you, you asked about what we saw as, uh, as being successful. You know, we've seen everything from streaming, so like, you know, a special perk for, you know, our, our, our Patreon-type sponsors. We have a, an, a subscription video on demand service in SVOD uh, that people pay for. So, you know, one of the perks they get, they get to watch the, the show live as we're producing it. Uh, so the streaming component is important. Um, you know, the video distribution on YouTube and our .com are very important. And, of course, the audio is very important for commuters who can't stare at a screen while they're... Um, while they're watching or you know listening. Yeah, and Alan, I know when we were talking earlier, um, you you brought up a really great point of just reaching your audience where they're at. So whether they're in front of the computer, they're commuting to work, they're listening, they're watching, they're scrolling through on on Instagram or TikTok, um, building that you know holistic model here to really connect. Yeah, our our, our recommendation when people are thinking about where are they going to distribute their show, is we say don't ever um, neglect the audience where they live. So yes, you can change platforms. You know, you've seen Joe Rogan, uh, you go to Spotify only, and, uh, and you've seen other, you know, people attempt to, you know, uh, start shows on different platforms where they develop their audience. But you can't assume that the audience is just gonna follow you. You know, there will be some, but you, you also need to respect that existing audience. So like if you're a Twitch streamer and you have a huge Twitch audience, then you should f definitely figure out a way to uh, distribute on Twitch, whether it's a live stream of when you're producing the show or maybe you're running it after, you, uh, after it's produced and edited. But regardless, you know, it's, I think it's really important for anyone thinking about multi-channel distribution to always include that original distribution, that original platform where they built their audience. I think that's such a great point. Don't neglect the audience where they are. Like, simple as that. And it's, it's so critical when we think about multi-channel because if you're a consumer and you start consuming podcasts on Apple or Spotify, think about how difficult it probably is for your own behavior to change to another platform. So we need to honor where the audiences are and honor that they live in different places and ensure that, yes, as a content creator, you are touching them across these, these multiple channels consistently. Yeah, and um, Craig, I know something we were talking about is just where these creators are originating from and how you're building content around them and, and using that to kind of foster 
new audiences, new new content, frankly, um, how, are you, how are you guys focusing? Yeah, so we always work with talent that has a huge following up front, right? Whether that be IG or TikTok, to ensure that you're gonna have the audience when it goes to podcasting. Because we, we come to where it's about 20% usually goes over, so we make sure we have a large talent. So like, for example, put a sock in it with Larray and Noah Beck, I'm sure you guys heard of those folks, but they have 80 million uh, followers on their social platform. So it was kind of a layup to say, let's do a podcast. Obviously, not all the audience is gonna follow over, but a big chunk of it will. And uh, we've been successful doing it that way. Yeah. Um, and Kelly, you know, as, as a, obviously a thought leader in, in the space of multi-channel touch points, um, but someone right now who's focusing on building this out, what, what are some recommendations or what are some really key areas that you personally focus on when talking with creators about you know, why this is important, why, why this should be incorporated into their strategy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I think, you know, you touched on it earlier, right, that YouTube is becoming a bigger and bigger place for consumption. People are watching podcasts on YouTube. They're also listening to podcasts on YouTube. So that's that's the number one, you know, point of conversation is this could enhance and expand your audience, but also push you to be an even more creative content creator where, you know, you have the ability to create content that's more visual, to engage with a product, to touch it, to feel it, to have it, you know, on site while you're, you know, delivering the ad. And, you know, that's really unique and kind of taking us further in this organic experience with marrying great products to great content creators and giving the ability to show their audience what it's all about. So I think that's a really critical piece. And then in addition, social. So, you know, social can be really fun, right? It's more short form. It can be 60 second clips. And I think it gives also the content creator an opportunity to do something really organic to their audience. And again, reach them once again with a message about a product that they really enjoy and to be able to to show that joy to their audience is, is just fun and it's, it's exciting and dynamic. And Courtney, I think that kind of like parlays really well, you know, into some of the conversations you have, some of the negotiations you're having in this space, right, of um, first and foremost, like why is tapping into the 360 sphere of influence so important and, and how does that open up incremental monetization opportunities across these areas? Yeah, um, we buy in so many different ways and sometimes it's the same content on every single channel. It's taking small clips from the YouTube and putting them onto social and repurposing that content, super valuable for us. Um, and then like you're saying, doing you know a podcast read with the video element, unboxing something and then also doing an unboxing on social. It just is adding to our brand's exposure. Um, and I think too, the, the really key thing for our brand that we're looking for within these multi-channel um, opportunities are having the ability to have links living somewhere. You don't have that with audio. Um, having the code on screen, um, it's, it's a lot less breakage and with our response-driven business, our brands really love, especially if they have a tangible asset, for that to be shown and talked through so that it's, it's an audio experience, but we also have the visual as well. Um, and so we just see performance really thrive when we're able to tap into these audiences. We're all habitual creatures and we consume our, our content in the same place all the time, but we also cross. Um, and so being able to hear your, your favorite influencer talk about it on their podcast and then them showing it in their real life on social um, is, is insanely valuable. I think, uh, and, and you know, to add to that, 
you know, the repetitive messaging is, is really important too. You know, we've uh, experimented with a, a great deal of success um, integrating, you know, shorter, uh, you know, uh, pre-episode, um, you know, statements that are so, sort of setting it up for the later, you know, 60-second ad read or whatever it is that, um, you know, that, that we're, we're running. So, again, that, that uh, redundancy of messaging, um, you know, definitely lends well because it's already in the person's mind. We've already incepted it into their mind. So now they're like, you know, better prepared for, to receive that, that message later on. Exactly. I think another thing that's really fun, especially with, you know, an agency like Veritone, is you guys are always willing to test new types of content, um, you know, in this vein. You know, so to your point, Alan, you know, kind of coming up with new ways and, and new ideas around how to create these multi-channel, you know, spheres of influence. Um, I think having a partner like you with brands that are on the forefront of, you know, wanting to experience this content in really unique ways. So it really gives the networks and the creators a great opportunity opportunity to step outside the box and to evolve and to innovate constantly in this in this universe. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the the key things there that you're all kind of touching on here is we're taking that authenticity, that connection that you're getting from an audio environment. That's the reason we all love and, and really kind of thrive in this podcasting ecosystem. But we're just extrapolating on that. You're kind of taking what we know is working, what we know is performing, where these really great connections are happening and building on them in, in other ways. Yeah, it's, it's influencer marketing. Um, we trust the voices that, that we are influenced by. And so, yeah, just building on top of that, just, um, yeah, it's what we're looking for. Yeah, and, and clearly there's a lot of like buzz behind this. There's a lot of interest here. There's a lot of growth happening here. But, you know, one thing that I think is really important to touch on, and I love to kind of hear from each of you um, what your experiences are in this vein, but, you know, we know that with simulcast or with multi-channel buys, there's different expectations. Um, each of these platforms is very unique and very different. What we're, you know, what brands are looking for from social is different than maybe what we're transacting on from a mid-roll buy on a podcast, right? Um, what are some of those nuances here? How, how are we seeing different expectations, different requirements from YouTube, social events, newsletters, et cetera? Um, Don't all speak at once. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I really like leveraging the video and the streaming formats um, to do more interesting, fun segment types of, of reads. It's not the right, you know, right match for every advertiser, but when we have worked with an advertiser successfully on a show for a while, and they start asking us, well, what else can we do? What kind of fun stuff can we do? Well, as a studio, um, you know, we, we, we produce 30 of our own shows. We have 70 other partners. Uh, with varying levels of production capabilities, but at least in our owned and operated shows, we have the ability to do fun segments. Like we we did a, a campaign with Smirnoff where we had a bar, a Smirnoff bar build, and every episode they did a different cocktail, you know, as per like one of the hosts, you know, you know, uh, interests or whatever. And that was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a natural way to integrate the brand in a way that didn't feel super salesy, but it also leveraged the video format because we got. Have, you know, have the bar built and, and, and had a lot of fun with that. Same thing with like Pizza Hut, you know, doing stuff at the Pizza Hut test kitchen and then showing the pizza and then the pizza, you know, like there's, there's stuff that you just can't necessarily execute uh, as well on audio only platforms. There's a lot of great stuff you can do on audio and, and, and it's, it's fantastic. But when you leverage those other video, especially the video platforms, it opens up a whole new world 
of opportunity. Like live streaming, you know, you can do uh, real-time Q&A with your you know, Patreon subscribers or your, or your uh, uh, SVOD subscribers, and, and that's harder to do you know, when you're just doing pre-recorded stuff. And yeah, for Studio 71, we like to keep the ads in the podcast realm, right? For if it's video and audio, we like to keep it streamlined in the same exact way. Um, because once you get into something more creative, it can get more expensive, right? But in the beginning, you test there, and then you expand and say, okay, that's working, it's quick, we're not cre creating crazy uh, requirements for you. And then we expand into those other areas once you've tested. So it's like the gateway drug, you test, in simulcast, it works. Then you say, I want to do something creative and bigger. Then you move into these other branches like IG, TikTok, whatever. And then you kind of get into the whole ecosystem of that talent. The audience appreciates the support for their talent, so they're more inclined to check out your, your brand. Yes, yes to everything. Um, but I think, you know, there really is a heavy reliance on the talent and the content creator to execute on a, on a lot of this. And I think that's where things start to get, you know, really nuanced. And it's up to us as the network that's supporting them and building and forging these relationships with buyers and brands that we're super clear with them about how to execute and how to help guide them. What are the points that they need to hit to make sure that you know this is really powerful and impactful for the brand? So the onus really falls on the networks to guide, handhold, educate, support, and then you know putting a lot of that on the content creator as well. Of okay, you know you've agreed to this now. Let's have fun. Like bring your persona, bring your personality, bring your passion to this experience, whether it's in the ad read on the podcast or whether it's visual and you get to, you know, do something a little bit more interesting for your audience or, you know, touching them later in the day when you, you know, put up your social stories. So I think that's, you know, really, really important here as well to get into those nitty gritty details and make sure that we're supporting the brands through this process and, and being really thoughtful about that. Yeah, and from like a, a buying perspective, I think one of the saddest things I can hear is if I come to Kelly or Craig or Alan and say, hey, this is really working, what else can we do? And they're like, we only have the podcast. Um, being able to build on that with our existing partners and expand on those opportunities um, is something that we're really pushing our network partners to, to own those assets and to be able to sell the 360 sphere of influence because if you only have a podcast, that's all I can do. Well, and, you know, to, to Craig's point about it being more expensive, you know, um, just kind of have to, you have to charge Veritone a higher CPA. <laughs> no, 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 We're not no, doing no. this for free. And we, Come and on, we Craig. Do. And we do. But just want to set the expectations that it is a different animal once you get into more creative stuff, which you guys all know. Yeah. And, and I think you guys bring up a really good point, right? <clears throat> Sorry. There's... Um, simulcast opportunities that have very elaborate studios where you are, you know, on set and doing, you know, you have a bar, you have all, all these really, you know, fancy integration opportunities. And there's a lot of podcasts out there that are inherently audio first, right? But they are still able to tap into this new ecosystem and do simulcast and, and tap into that video sphere, Craig, like you were alluding to, but they're doing so in an audio first format. Um, Courtney and I experience this all the time where a simulcast show might not have a visual element to it on YouTube per se, but it's still a new audience. And, and that's something I'd love to tap into next year of just 
how is this um, multi-channel approach a benefit for creators? How are they reaching, you know, how is it impacting audience growth? How are we seeing this as a, a way to bring more people into the podcasting ecosystem, more listeners into the space? Have, how have you guys seen that, you know, kind of evolve here? I mean, it, what's great about simulcast is obviously the discussion in podcasting for years been, for years has been discoverability, right? It's a huge issue. No one solved it, right? Or am I wrong? You're not <laughs> no, wrong. One's, no one solved it. <laughs> simulcast basically solved that issue. It doesn't get better than the discovery tool in, on those places or in those places. So that's where you're going to see the growth. It's going to continue that way, um, you know, for, for a long time from now. Um, I lost my train of thought for the next <laughs> one. Go to the next person. Well, I think, you know, when it comes to having these multiple pieces of content to help promote whether you are pushing it on social, whether you're pushing it on video, you now have all of these different formats where you can pull from to continue that promotional aspect, right? So if you've got audio, you can run promos, right? You can pull those clips and you can immediately run promos in, in other audio areas. Now you have video, so you can pull video clips and start running them elsewhere. So it gives you versatility to be able to promote your content, you know, right at the whim of, of whenever you need to. Um, and, and listen, I mean, YouTube, as, as you guys described, you know, with all of the different capabilities that you have with posting a link or, you know, being able to click through, you know, there is huge audience engagement there. So we know that there is growth taking place on YouTube and we need to continue to funnel that and, and really look into it and understand it and how it's fueling growth and also how it's fueling engagement with these content creators and, and brands. Yeah, for us, it's, it's a, a, lot of, a, a, a lot of it is about top of funnel audience acquisition, you know, coming up with those creative ways of finding new audiences that don't necessarily know who Rooster Teeth is or, you know, any of our, our um, you know, talent. Um, but finding, you know, novel ways of, of finding those, those new audiences. For example, you know, we have a privilege, the privilege of having uh, an, an animation studio as part of Rooster Teeth, and we take funny little clips from the podcasts and we'll animate them and we'll put them on the socials, we'll put them on uh, YouTube. And so people now are going to start finding these through, you know, through sharing and all that that don't really know what show this is based on, but they think it's really funny. And then that starts directing people to our, you know, main show. So again, utilizing all these different platforms, obviously, number one, meet your audience where they live, but spreading out, utilizing YouTube and the socials and, and taking clips and finding, again, shareable, snackable, uh, short form ways of, of leveraging and expanding your, your audience. And from a from a sorry Kelly from a brand perspective, we before have negotiated that a creator is you know doing a podcast, creating a piece of content, and then our brands are going and sharing that on their channels as well, which is just a win-win for everyone. If you follow a brand on a social or anywhere, and you are seeing you know somebody talking about that brand, maybe you will align with their content too when you go tune into that show, and it's you know kind of organic growth that way too. Yeah, and I, you know I think. We spent a lot of time talking about content today that you know is inherently multi-channel, right? You have creators that are coming in and they have a footprint in all these different areas. But I think one thing that certainly resonates 
maybe with you know the audience here and just I think within the ecosystem at large is um, that opportunity to take podcast or audio first um, entities and move them into these other channels. Um, and I think you know one of the key, key critical things there is you know we know that the podcast audience is very desirable, right? They're the right age, they're cord cutters, they're they're hard to reach. Uh, but we want to make sure we're continuing to grow that podcast consumer, grow that audience base. And so by being able to tap into YouTube or social, you're now, or, or radio, right? We're seeing a lot of podcasters go to radio now. Um, and so seeing that diversity of, of all these different channels, um, we're now looking at a very diverse, very rapidly growing um, you know, audience base, which from a brand perspective, from a buying perspective, and from a network perspective, I think there's frankly benefits across the board. I want to say one more thing. I'm sorry, I didn't. Oh, uh, um, you know, we, we talk about, I mean, I, I talk very casually about, oh, and then video and animation and all this stuff. And, and, you know, it's not easy necessarily to do these things. We have, again, we have 20 years of experience, you know, doing video productions uh, distributed on YouTube. So that's, again, one of our superpowers. But you know, this is where the value of the network comes in. You know, having a, a Studio 71 or a Rooster Teeth with their expertise, with their best practices, taking someone who's successful on an audio platform and helping them transition into video as well. You know, you, whether they're utilizing our resources, our expertise, even, you know, uh, funding support to help them build out a studio that facilitates video or streaming or whatever. So, again, that's, that's one of the, 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 you know, the areas where network uh, with those capabilities can really be of value. I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, we, again, we have to provide these resources to our podcasters. We can't just say, throw your content on YouTube and it's going to be great and it's going to perform and we're going to be able to drive more revenue for you, right? Like, we have to come to them with a very thoughtful, strategic plan in terms of what are best practices, what really works in the video space, and how to create, you know, visual content when you have really only been thinking about your podcast from an audio perspective all of this time. I mean, it's a pretty big transition. And so a lot of these creators, you know, need our support and, and need that help understanding and guidance. Yeah. And to tag on to that, like that we, the talent's not going to do it. They're not going to continue doing it if it's too hard, right? So, and you have to keep consistency to grow your audience. So we provide as many resources as possible. We'll come out to their house and record. Whatever makes it easy and convenient, we will do it. And we have, the, we have a production studio too in Burbank where they can go there, but it easier it is, the easier it is for them, the more likely they'll continue doing the video stuff. So. House calls, that's, that's yeah. great. <laughs> that's what we do, yeah. 2022, that's what, where the world's moved. Um, you guys took the question right out of my mouth, just in terms of how are you, as you know, industry leaders here, going to continue to support creators in this journey? Because we know this isn't easy. Um, we know there isn't one way to do it, right? There's many different approaches here. There's many different techniques. So making, you know, it's really, I think, fantastic to hear that this is something that you, um, each of your companies is really kind of owning that, that process in terms of expanding what you're doing, what's in your toolkit as creators are looking to go down this avenue. Yeah, I think that's so important to keep in mind. Nothing in podcasting is one size fits all. It's just, and, and I think that's a frustration for a lot of people, you know, especially, you know, when you have a massive network, you want to create uniformity, you want things to be more seamless and turnkey. And unfortunately, that's really hard to do. And it really takes away from 
from, I think, the uniqueness and what's really special about marrying these brands with the right influencer across these multiple channels to deliver really organic, seamless ad read experiences. No, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're very big believers that no two ad reads should ever sound the same and, and no two integrations should ever be the same. And I think as we're broaching into these other channels, that, that applies even further. Um, you know, one of the key things we wanted to address today is why this approach equates back to monetization, right? I think that's all kind of ties back here. Um, what, are, what are some of the biggest takeaways there? I know we talked about the growth of audience, the diversification of consumers, the engagement of both talent and you know, brands and the, um, the audiences themselves, but how, you know, how are we tying this back to monetization? What are some of those key learnings that you've seen, um, Courtney, from a buying perspective? What have been some key takeaways there? It works. Um, having the direct links and the um, just more awareness to the brand is really driving performance and really, you know, continuously having our clients invest in stuff. We've a few years ago when I first started at Veritone One, we dealt with audio budgets. And that is like out the door. The audio team is doing so much more than that. And it's because we really see the value in these different ways to get our messaging out. I mean, Hillary, for you, your title changed how long ago to podcast and YouTube now. So, um, I mean, listen, the space is evolving and that's what's so much fun about what we do. It, no day is the same. Um, and I think that from a monetization standpoint, it really is, you know, kind of what we touched on earlier, right? You find a host that works and performs really well. So how do we expand this partnership and create more revenue opportunities, certainly for the content creator, but also for your brands that, that you work with and represent because now you are showing them that this really performs well, this really works, and you're creating bigger opportunities for them to integrate. And it's just, it's really exciting across the board for content creators and brands. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we're, we're almost at time here. We want to leave a little bit for Q&A, but just to kind of wrap things up, what, what are some takeaways? What are some lessons learned? What are maybe some key things to think about or consider for shows who are looking to maybe foray down this path or maybe networks who are looking to expand their, their strategy to be a little bit more multi-channel focused. Any, any big learnings to share? I want to, I, you know, one of the things that we talk to our creators about um, is we want to try to be open-minded about the definition of podcast, of what a podcast is. That term has come with a lot of baggage, which is why it took so long for video podcasting to be a thing, because podcasting is audio. Like, why, why would I pay for YouTube? That's not what I'm trying, you know, that's not, not what I'm buying into. I'm, I'm being a, a brand right now, um, or, or, or an agency person who doesn't understand video podcasting. Anyways, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that, a, like, when you're creating content, like, yeah, we use the term podcast and we're a podcast movement, but it's much bigger than that. Like, it could be a game show. It could be uh, in a, a, like a late night, you know, television type of inter interview type of thing uh, with a, a, a fully flushed out stage. It could be, you know, two people uh, sitting at a, a desk with microphones. I mean, it just, just, I, we just like to challenge our partners and our talent to think outside of what they think a podcast box is. Like, it can be whatever you want it to be. You know? We love thinking outside of the box, so thank you for that. 
I think to um, just making sure that it makes sense for the for your audience. Uh, if you're a podcast and you know, like Craig was saying, that you have a following somewhere else, it's an easy avenue. But if you know, you have no one that's listening to your podcast that is likely consuming content on Twitch. Does it make sense? Um, it, it has to resonate with your audience already. And we see that on the brand end. So we just want to make sure it's authentic to the show and who they are, because that's going to come through. And I concur with all this. But uh, it really, what, what I would say is when reaching out and, and thinking of talent, just because a talent's big doesn't mean it's going to work for a podcast, right? Like, you know, a model in bathing suits everywhere and IG is not going to be, no one wants to listen to her, you know? <laughs> or, you know, sometimes in a, an eccentric, you know, YouTuber that does these short product reviews that are five minutes aren't so great in long format. Yeah. They can be boring, it's sleepy, very sleepy. I've worked with a few. So um, just think of those things when you're, you're thinking of talent. Just because they're big doesn't mean, mean they're gonna have a great podcast. I think don't be afraid to test and fail. Honestly, don't let that hold you back. Um, I don't think this industry would be where it is if we approached it with that mentality. So be bold, innovate, try something new, and don't be afraid to fall down because you can pick yourself back up and create great content and find great brands to support it. So, Absolutely. We'll love the conversation here. We do want to open it up if anyone has questions. Okay, cool. Tia's going to walk around with the microphone over here. Hi. Um, thank you so much for the talk. All of you are amazing. Um, my name is Mo, and I'm with Baritone One. Um, so I have a question. I, I really love the the expression of showing versus telling. So my two, I have a two part question. One, well, the first part of the question: um, clients that don't have a tangible product, if they're like a service based product, how would they find value and benefit in multi channel platforms? And are they at a disadvantage because they don't have something to show? You know, like how, if you have experienced that in your, in your time, like how do you kind of work through maybe a barrier? Is it not a barrier? You know, I, I would love your perspective on that. I can speak to this one. Um, I, I've had the opportunity to work with one of Veritone's clients over the years, ExpressVPN, and they are a service that is not visual. Um, and they are a brand that has done some multi-channel marketing. And I think they've been really creative in terms of how they've expressed safety um, and protection with the various hosts that they've worked with. And I think the hosts do a really good job, the ones that they've you know, experienced that multi-channel effort with, of relaying that in a way that's very authentic to their audiences, right? So it becomes about safety and protection, and they can show some visual elements to that depending on what their content is. Um, so I think it's honing in on, you know, a feeling potentially um, versus this is how you work this. Um, and so I, I think that's an interesting way to, to think about it. And they, they've been a really, I think, innovative product in that sense. And I think too, like we we still get their experience with the brand. Um, that is so important to us and just their voicing through, again, they're a trusted voice for their audience. So it doesn't matter if they don't have something to show. Um, you can tell when someone's being authentic especially through video and audio. Um, so we still get that, that personal experience in their, in their use of the product. Yeah, the authenticity, uh, the, the direct connection. When you're talking to 
a friend or, or someone and you're trying to get them fired up about something, you know, you're looking in their eyes, you're excited about it, you're speaking about it authentically, um, you don't have anything to show, but it, your, your enthusiasm, you know, just sort of pours out of you. And I think that is, the, is at the end of the day, the most compelling um, variable when it comes to performance is just the, 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 the authenticity part of it. Hi. So I'm also video first and uh, I had a podcast a while back in the 2006 era when it was just audio only. And, uh, and um, so podcasting on YouTube, right? So if you're an audio podcaster and you want to get on YouTube, is it worth putting a graphic up and putting the audio up on your YouTube channel? Because you're not seeing anything, you're just hearing it. Um, and, th and that might require the paid version of YouTube to close the app and still listen while you're driving, mm -hmm. uh, opposed to having it go away. Uh, and then uh, the cost for video is, you know, is higher. Uh, the translation from somebody's good on, uh, on audio, the old, you got the perfect face for the radio thing, <laughs> which I think uh, this could help people become more comfortable and get away the stigma of it. They don't have to be you know, Barbie and Ken to get an audience, you know? So there's, I see a lot of positive things for, for audio podcasters transitioning into video, but how do they handle the cost associated with, um, you know, good video? Thank you. Yeah, uh, Kelly, do you wanna? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that goes to our earlier point, right? As networks, um, I think that's up to us to provide that support. Craig doing house calls, um, you know, but it really is like we as networks have to start thinking of video as well. And does that, you know, look like creating studios that are equipped with video uh, equipment to support audio podcasters and making that transition and that leap? Is it, you know, bringing things into their home, bringing things into their spaces, um, you know, hiring video editors to, to help, you know, create and edit the content. So I think yeah, we, we have to provide the support in the evolution of our industry. Do you have an iPhone? You could do video podcasts. That's it. It's, it's that simple. It's, it's not a lot. I mean, uh, YouTube, no hosting costs, right? It's free. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think it, it would be a problem. But as far as the static card that you mentioned in the beginning, we have a podcast. It's called Super Megacast that... Um, for the last two years, they just had a static card with audio playing, and it's one of our highest performers in our network. Sells out every quarter consistently. They just recently started putting themselves in video, but it was a card for years, and it did super well. So there you have and, it. Just got to test. Oh, Craig, and to that point, I know we kind of touched on this earlier on the panel, but there isn't just one way to do this right. So not all shows can have a very enhanced and robust video presence. And so even having that static logo on YouTube um, is beneficial. And there's ways to incorporate, you know, the clickable link in your description box or a logo for the brand on screen um, that makes it very enticing from a brand and agency perspective as well. It's a really good step one because you're still diversifying mm -hmm. your audience and the channels in which they can consume. Hi, um, I have a quick question. I have an audio podcast and we are moving into video. Uh, we are a sex and relationship podcast, a little bit more on the sex side. So sometimes we have difficulty finding sponsors and I haven't really pursued them very much because of that, but we're getting ready to move into the video realm. We actually have a static 
you know, podcast on YouTube and it does quite well. So my question is, should we do, should I focus on doing some things like some of these brand type um, reads or um, product reviews and things like that as we move into it and then use that as, hey, brand, here's what we can also offer. Like we don't have anybody in mind yet, but if I have a product that I love and I want to talk about it, should I do that proactively and then be able to show other people, other advertisers, what we can do and what we can offer? Yes. Um, yes. Brands, brands uh, all have different guidelines of what they're going to be interested in. We have brands that are interested in that content. It resonates really well with um, the people that they're trying to hit. And so I think, you know, showing, proving that you can do something and you can do it really well and it's going to resonate with your audience, absolutely. A case study is fantastic. Um, but I don't think that the, the content should scare you from not being able to get a single advertiser because you'll find someone that fits well with your show and, and you personally. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the platforms have their own, you know, policies like, you know, YouTube will flag uh, content as adult content. Well, they've flagged our content as adult content simply because we had, let's say, an Admin Eve or, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, ad or, uh, uh, you know, like a, a hymns or something like that. And, you know, if you're okay, I mean, your content, it's already going to be flagged adult. So that's like not a, not a non-issue. I mean, we're trying to not be flagged adult because we want to expand our discoverability. But for you, I think it's fine. I mean, I think, you know, have the ads, you know, make, you know, keep them tasteful so that you don't, you know, inspire too much ire from YouTube. And, um, and then just, you know, just reach your audience and, and be authentic. But I th definitely would go the ad route for sure because there's plenty of people, as, as, as Courtney mentioned, plenty of companies that want to work with you. Awesome. Well, we are at time. We're actually over time, but appreciate the questions and, and thank you all, our panelists here, for the conversation thank today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank Hillary. You.